Good morning and welcome to San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors on staff and it is so good to be with you this morning. I spent the last week out in North Carolina and I, to my surprise, it is hotter here than humid North Carolina and I was kind of upset by that. But we are doing our best. You've got bulletins to wave in front of you. We're trying to get the, the air circulating in here. So as best as you can, let's stay cool. We totally know it is a bit warm. Uh, if you need water, there is water out in the Friendship Plaza. There are water fountains uh, out in the lobby. So please take advantage of that as well. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to explain uh, the tables on either side of the stage. This is a place where you can come and pray, light a candle that is representative of your prayer at any time during the service. We invite you to do that. Uh, at this time, would invite you to pray with me for the service. Lord, be with us. Be in our midst. Even as we are may feeling a little uncomfortable with the weather, remind us of who you are and allow us to sink into the comfortability of worship of you. Remind us that all that we're doing, the reason we even come to this place is to worship you. To take a moment to reflect, to hear from you, to be fed by you. Lord, grant us, even in the midst of this uncomfortable weather, the ability, the mindset to concentrate and worship you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Let's Amen. continue in worship. Let's stand together this morning if you are able and let us give thanks and show gratitude to our Lord in this new day that we've been blessed with. Let us express our adoration and our admiration for our God today. We express our love to you.
we get a glimpse of heaven and earth coming together, the moment where good was made, where wrong was made right, through the vision of John here in Revelation 7. We see that there was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of the Lamb, shouting praises to God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. So now we set our minds on that day, the day where wrong will be made right, where heaven and earth will come completely into one. And we join creation this morning, singing all the earth. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will Let your voice with creation this morning. sing and worship together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite Shannon Heffern this morning to read out of Psalm 139 for us today. Psalm 139, 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we take a moment to breathe, understanding that your presence is with us, God, that you are as close to us as our breath is to us. Lord, we thank you that you sustain us with life. And at this moment now, we attempt to put our hearts and our minds at peace with the knowledge that you are with us. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still. Oh, be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. Be still. You know us, Lord. You know my anxious thoughts. Your spirit, my this morning in faith and in hope that our God is with us through all things, through all seasons. When tears fall through the night and panic grips my life, I will rest 
surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith God that is our prayer as your church that we would be able to have our eyes and our minds and our hearts fixed on you, Lord. We surrender our will. We surrender our lives to you so that you would be able to be seen in this world through us, to be known in this world through us. Let us surrender our hearts this morning.
this, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Let me pray for us this morning. Oh Lord, through the many different seasons of our lives, would our worship remain constant to you and consistent that the practice of our worship would produce trust and hope in you when we need it most. That we would be able to cry out your glory in all things.
Amen. And before you are seated, I want to invite you into a time of passing the peace of Christ, that you would be able to understand that Christ is within you today and within the others around you. So go and pass the peace of Christ. up those conversations and I'll invite you back to your seats and would you turn your direction to the screen we're going to show you a highlight video of our family fun nights last month was August and for us here at San Diego First Church that means it's family church month and on Wednesday nights our kids and our youth you know what I'm just going to show you the video and you're going to figure out the rest all right I didn't say you'd listen to the video. I said I'd show you it. Uh, is the audio coming through at all? Okay. This is worth this. Is worth this. Hey, Luke, look at your output on there and see if it's coming out of display audio. It is. And still, you see on the right that there's audio, but you're not getting it, Jose. So the laptop's got it, but you don't got it. Oh, yikes. Bummer. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should have had Brenda come up here. She would play a lot better than me. Well, imagine there's music under this, but I'm going to explain as we go, because this is what we do. We adapt. So this is Bunko Night. We had Allie win what we call the Bunko off because we had a tie, and she got the Bunko. There's Jordan, always being awkward as usual. George, look at this. Sprained his ankle, but still showed up to Bunko Night, hopping through. This is wonderful. And then after this part, I believe we're going to go to the next week, which is our family movie night. Okay, so be jealous. We did watch Minions 2, and it was great. Some would say better than the first, and I'd say that. And some people would say that's a hot take, but I think Minions 2 was better than Minions 1. 
Um, this is on my iPhone. Not, not, great, uh, not great quality, but you get the gist. Got people walking through here. Oh, I love that family right there. There's Kylie's right there. Wonderful photo. And I thought, I need to get in the photo too. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to enter myself in the photo right there. Going to get right in there. And then that segues us to our last part, which was the pool party at the Ben and Nelly's. Wonderful place. Look at that. Isn't that great? It looks like I'm selling Sunset over there. That's fantastic. We had food there. We did a lot of swimming. And then one of my favorite parts was the trampoline, which we'll get to the trampoline part soon. Hello, Ross. That's great. Okay. Oh, Soren and Benji, my faves there. Nice little flip there. Hot tub time. Okay, there's that trampoline. Oh, there's Jeremiah, as usual. Okay. And then we got great, great, great. And then a little pan, just to let you know people showed up there. That's great. And then we're getting to the end, which our slogan here at San Diego First Church Kids is better together. And that is what we did for Family Fun Nights. All right. That was incredible. That was my favorite thing that's ever happened at church ever. I'm obsessed. I just really brought my water bottle up with me. I didn't mean to, but it's so hot that I just did it without thinking. Um, Austin's already our cinematographer, director, editor of those videos, and now narrator. So thank you so much for doing that this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, my name's Tyler. I'm the communications director here at San Diego First Church. I've asked, I've asked Austin to join me up here uh, to let you guys know a little bit about what's happening in the life of our church soon. Uh, first off, though, kids, we wanted you to stick around to see the amazing video, uh, but we're going to send you all off to your programming this morning. So I'm going to ask everybody else to join us in reading the prayer up on the screen. This is our children's dis dismissal prayer as we send our teens and kids off to their Sunday schools for this morning. Pray with me. This is my prayer for you, our children that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. See you, kids. See you, teens. All right, as I've mentioned, we're going to let you guys know a little bit about what's happening in the life of our church soon. But first of all, if you haven't already had the opportunity, this is a great time for you to check in and let us know you're here. There's an awesome QR code on the front of your bulletin. You can also point your uh, smartphone camera up at the screen there and scan that QR code. That'll bring you to a short Google form. Just lets us know your name. There's an opportunity to tell us any prayer requests or contact info you'd like for the church staff to know. And this is just a helpful way for us to know that you're here and know uh, what we can be praying for you for um, and all that good stuff. So please take the time to check in uh, before you leave today. Um, all right. This Wednesday, September 7th, we've been talking about it for a while, we're bringing back our Wednesday nights. All the programming's coming back, and that includes Wednesday night dinners. So some of you have been around for those, some of you may have not been. Uh, we serve Wednesday night dinners out in the Friendship Plaza from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, we'll have half plates available for $5, full plates available for $7, and we have a rotating menu, different food each week. So please come for that fellowship time. Can you just hang tell out. us just a sneak peek? What's on the menu? A what's, sneak peek of the menu? Oh my God. Please, please, please. I don't know. I don't know. This Wednesday, it's pulled pork sandwiches. Oh. 
Yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm not gonna give the whole menu away. I'll you give one. I'll give a one week preview. That's fine. Pulled pork this week. Um, so come and join us for that time to eat together, hang out together, and then at 6:30, that's when our programming kicks off. So we'll have programming. Our children's choir will begin their rehearsals for the Christmas musical. Youth group will meet over in the youth room. We'll have programming for adults as well. Uh, our adult choir rehearsals as well as our adult you. This is our Wednesday night learning opportunity uh, for adults of our church. We have four different classes on the schedule for this fall, and they're just of different topics, ways to get together, connect over discussion on different topics, and learn and grow together and from one another. Um, Austin is leading our first class in the schedule for this fall, and he's going to tell you a little bit about what you're going to cover if you come and attend Habits of Worship. Yeah, so I am teaching four weeks worth of content about Habits of Worship and embodying worship in ways that are with music. Hey, thanks, Doug. Appreciate that. And so much more than music. And if there's one thing you learn through the four weeks, I want you to learn that there is so much more to worship and so many ways to embody worship than what we did together in music, in prayer, and in meditation, and in spiritual disciplines. And so let me walk us through kind of our trajectory, kind of what we're tapping into. On the first night, on September 7th, it is me and your trusted pastor, D. Kelly. We're going to have conversation on why worship is important to us at San Diego First Church. We're going to talk through why we worship. Does it make sense? I believe it does. There's your sneak preview. And that will call us to wonder, why is it that we worship in the way that we worship now? And then we walk into September 14th, Building Worshipful Habits. I have uh, someone from our congregation named Mr. Dave over there. Dave James is going to talk about his experience and what it's like to worship with our bodies outside the sanctuary. I have a friend of mine coming in talking about how we can engage our bodies inside the sanctuary and then why habits are important. Habits are important because I believe they shape our identity. And so how do we shape our identity as worshipers and what habits do we take from that? And then we have on September 21st, Rebecca Laird and George Williamson, members of our congregation that often join us in worship, are going to walk through how we worship through spiritual discipline and worship alongside and through scripture. And then the last night, I have a friend of mine named Julius and another congregation member, a very wise Carl Martin, and we're going to have discussion on common culture of worship and what it looks like what worship looks like today in our common culture and how we live through that, what we take, what we leave behind. And so I'm really excited. It's going to be great. And like I said, I hope the thing that you learn is that there's so many more ways to worship than just through music. And I think right now in our culture, music through worship dominates so much that we feel like that's it. That's all we can do. But there's so much more. And we're going to talk about that for the first four weeks. Yeah. And when I say there are four adult you classes, this is one of the classes that happens to have four nights. This one's kicking up on September 7th, this Wednesday, and I'll let you guys know about the future classes as they begin to kick off as well throughout the fall. But please come and join us if you're interested this Wednesday night for the first session of Austin's Habits of Worship class. Um, another opportunity, if you're an adult that isn't going to kids' choir or isn't helping out with youth group, uh, if you'd like to stick around here on Wednesday nights, is to be a part of our choir. So our choir rehearses on Wednesday nights as well. Um, we have our sanctuary choir, uh, which are the folks that will come and lead special music and sing songs in this worship service, as well as our first Sunday's morning tide service. So you're welcome to come and be a part of those rehearsals, and that begins this Wednesday. We have our Joyful Sounds of Christmas Choir. This is a huge choir that leads an amazing, wonderful Christmas service for us the first Sunday of December. Um, it's, if you haven't been before, it's truly incredible. Uh, 
huge orchestra, huge choir. Victor yeah, Lubensky does awesome. a great job putting awesome. it all together. And so that's a special choir if you'd like to be a part of that as well. Uh, the kickoff for Joyful Sounds Choir is happening on Saturday, September 10th. That happens over in the Family Life Center. You'll listen through the new music and start the rehearsals, and then uh, rehearsals take place for that on Wednesday nights as well throughout the rest of the fall, so we get ready for those December 4th services. So if you'd like to sing, and if you're interested in being a part of either the Sanctuary Choir or that special Joyful Sounds Choir, uh, you can go see Victor for more info or just show up on a Wednesday night and come and talk to him. He'd, he'd love to have you as a part of that choir. And our last announcement is one that I'm biasly excited for, and that is our music, musician and tech hangout. If you have come to this church at least three weeks in a row, you would be able to see how blessed we are in this church with how many different musicians and tech members we have. There's almost different people every week covering different instruments. We are so fortunate and blessed to have that in our church. And so from me and from Victor, we want to say thank you to the musicians. We want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate the text, but we also want to bring people together. We want you to meet people that you haven't met before. And if you're new here and you're a musician or you want to be a tech, this is a great night for you to come and hang out with us. We'll have pizza, we'll have games. Um, and it's just, again, just a time for us to get to know each other a little bit better. And yeah, I'm excited for it. September 20th, 6 to 8 in the Ellipse Chapel. Absolutely. All right, we're going to continue with our worship this morning, uh, and I'm going to invite Valerie Merlin to come up to uh, do our scripture reading. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Luke 14, 25 to 33. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Word of the Lord. Thanks, Valerie. Thanks to everybody for wonderful worship and time together, and glad that we have joined together this morning to dig a little bit deeper into God's Word, among the other things that we've already done. Um, my wife and I briefly had an opportunity to live on the East Coast in Portland, Maine, and toward the end of that stint, uh, I was driving an old Volkswagen Bug on the highway close to the uh, southern Maine state border. And uh, apparently I threw a rod through the engine or something like that. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but that's what the mechanics said. And it was toast, it was over. 
So I had to figure out new transportation, and um, this is quite a few years ago. In the first year, I believe, that the company Nissan came out with a car called a Sentra. They still make them to this day. This was the first iteration, and I bought it new for $5,195. I'm not sure what you could get now for $5,195. Nothing in the new car market, I don't think. Uh, but I did at that time, and it was pretty stripped-down basic model. It, uh, as I recall, had roll windows, didn't have air conditioner. Um, it didn't have any carpeting on the floor. It was just like a, a vinyl piece of flooring that you could just hose out if you wanted to. The engine wasn't very complicated. You could actually work on it, but it was one of those... Uh, had the car when we moved back to the Midwest, and it was one of those very, very hot Midwest summer days that was floating somewhere around the mid-90s, and um, it was so hot in this car with no air conditioning. It was city traffic, so there was not any air blowing through the windows, and I was just so frustrated by the moment. I thought, is it possible that it could actually get hotter than this? So I turned on the heater just to see. And it actually did, it got hotter. It was really, really bad then. So I'm just letting you know, it could be worse. So, um, I probably ought to start off with some wonderful stories of uh, being on Indian Lake during the winter and uh, snow everywhere and the lake frozen over and walking out onto the waters and um, not walking on the water. This was not a miracle moment. It was frozen over on the ice and being able to see through and the um, seaweed in suspension and all bundled up. Um, but I'm not sure that's going to help at all as we dig into this passage of Scripture, though it might very possibly be an early spring day that is um, happening here in this Scripture reference. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, and as we look at this passage, it tells us very clearly that Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem. I say still on his way because as I mentioned in Morning Tide, this journey toward Jerusalem starts in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and we don't find him arriving in Jerusalem until somewhere about Luke chapter 19, verse 41. So portions of 11 chapters are this journey toward Jerusalem. And in this journey toward Jerusalem, Jesus has a crowd that begins to follow. It takes a while, it appears, to get to Jerusalem, so I'm not sure if this was some type of an ebb and flow with the crowd. But the crowd has gathered, and they are following him as he makes this journey. And we find at the very beginning of this passage in verse 25 that Jesus stops, turns around, and then addresses the crowd. And in addressing the crowd, he says some things that are rather startling. I appreciate Valerie's reading of this. It, it's worth just kind of catching your breath and pausing after the first few verses. Where Jesus says to this crowd, Whew, unless you hate your mother, your father, your wife, your children, your sister, your brother, in fact, hate your own life, you won't be my disciple." This is one of those lectionary mornings where it just would be so much easier to go to Jeremiah and speak out of Jeremiah, except the Jeremiah passage is really not very easy either, 
because it talks about all of the terrible things that are about to happen to the Hebrew people. It would be a lot easier than to go to the psalm, because psalms, there's always something uplifting there, and we could, but then we step past what really is a very powerful passage here that leaves me kind of bent out of shape, but probably appropriately so. And so we hit this spot that plays off one culture against another. In that, when I hear that word hate, I feel like I have with me all of the baggage of my particular culture that when the word hate comes up, it seems to denote ill will toward another, wishing somebody else would um, get their just due and somehow I would come out victorious and eventually be proven right. And the hatred that comes with kind of a um, dismissal downplay or vengeance against someone else. That culture is opposed to a culture at the time when this was written that probably speaks a bit more to identity than it does to what we might conjure up when we hear that word. Identity that is found in the group of which you are a part. In this particular case, family. The identity that you have with family. So it begs the question, who are you? Age-old question that in one way or another we wrestle with all the time. When we try and choose a major in college, part of what comes up is, who am I? What are my interests? What are my passions? What I think might be interested in? How would I like to spend my life in vocational work? Who am I? People go into many different things trying to determine, who am I? If I ask you that right at this moment, my guess is you would give me a number of different monikers. You might name your family, the heritage, the places from which you came. You might also talk about a political affiliation. You might talk about where you've lived. You might talk about your um, ethnic heritage. You might talk about the country of which you have citizenship. All of these things become monikers that we wear. You might talk about your age. You might talk where you were in your family system. You might hope that somebody else in the crowd knows anything about a neogram, and you start talking about numbers, and you start comparing numbers to one another. Who am I? This passage speaks to that issue clearly. And I'd like to take you to the two verses that follow this passage but conclude the chapter. Verses 34 and 35. Verse 34 and 35 says, If salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? So pause for a moment here. If salt is not salty, what do you call it? Because apparently salt can lose its saltiness. But that's its entire identity. Its name calls out exactly what it is. And without saltiness, it's lost all its character of what it's been called. And once again, it seems like at the beginning of the passage and at the end of this passage, we're talking about identity. Who am I? If I'm salty, but I lose my saltiness, now who am I? The crisis comes over and over again in our journey when what we have as our identity gets pulled out from underneath us 
and we're left asking the question, what am I without that? Some of you who have been around for a while know that uh, one point in my vocational journey, I was let go, I was fired from my job. And at that time, my identity was wrapped up in what I did. What was produced out of my work was where I found my definition of my own personal success, what I contributed to the world, the way I looked at myself, the way I defined myself. It's pulled out from underneath me. And I might have asked it 50 different ways, but in essence, in that moment, the question is, so who am I now? Who am I now when I lose the thing that gives me a sense of place, a sense of being, a sense of direction? So come back to the beginning of this passage, and Jesus stops, turns around, and looks at the crowd and says, hold on a second, let's talk about this. Unless you rethink your identity, then you've missed the notion of discipleship. Because discipleship is all about who I am. If I belong to Jesus, Jesus is saying that that moniker defines everything else, not the reverse. The questions of others who have come to him in previous passages before we get to this moment in time are often questions about identity. And Jesus gives them a new name, sometimes actually a new name. Peter gets a new name. At other times, he names who they are through the lens of grace, a new identity. And here he is challenging their notion of what it means to follow me as opposed to seeing your identity in the context of your family clan, your family system, what you do or how you've named yourself to this point in time. Even go so far as to say, unless you take your up your cross and follow me, you will not be my disciple. The cross, among many things, refers to the heavy burden that we bear. It can refer to suffering because of the suffering Christ that is connected to the cross. And sometimes suffering begins to be our identity. We become known by the things we've suffered. I think I've mentioned this before. I had a wonderful friend one time that asked me, when are you going to stop identifying yourself by that last failure? So I've been playing the victim card a lot. Yeah, okay, got it. Not easy to shift that if that has become part of your identity. So Jesus begins to work into the sense of identity and calls them to count the cost. Because the cost is a high price. And as we all know in this day and ages, day and age, prices keep going up and up and up. So think for a moment if you're going to build a tower and you think to yourself, I'm going to build this tower. I'm going to get started with what I've got in the garage. And you start building. 
and you realize you've run out of materials, and you go to Home Depot, you go, what? The cost of lumber is what? The cost of new tools? Are you kidding me? The cost of everything has been going up. I recently went to the gas station not too long ago. I was so frustrated by the cost at the pump, I just took a picture of it and didn't realize that my look of frustration was revealed <laughs> in the reflection of the cost at the pump. And I've held on to it because it, it helps to define the moment for me when you realize I'm not sure what I can pay and buy now that I've just gotten a tank full of gas. Nothing left over. This sense of expenses increase and increase, and you can do the calculation. That was a bad day, $89 for 14 and a half gallons. I pulled up an old newspaper the year after I was um, born, 1957, and I've got um, prices that take us back there. And here are some examples that come right out of this page. Low down payment, 57 Chevy. So that's a new Chevy for 2095. Four door, radio, heater. I don't see any air conditioning up there. I guess it does have a little bit of mileage on it, 2,000 miles. So maybe it was a demo car, something like that. At this time, cars were averaging about 2,000 piece. New home was in the price range of $10,000 to $11,000 for a new home. Average salary in the United States at that time was in the neighborhood of $4,400. A loaf of bread, about 20 cents. And so, a loaf of bread, I've got my back page here on my piece of paper. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you know I've shown this picture a couple of times. That was when I was the spokesperson for wholesome bread. That's me on top of the bread loaf right there. Pretty proud of that picture. Pretty proud to be the spokesperson for Wholesome Bread. Did a lot of cameo appearances and that kind of thing. And um, the compensation for that, well, I got all the bread that I could eat. And uh, I just, this was during the photo shoot, and they kept handing me slice after slice, and I just kept stuffing away. And you can see by the size of my uh, biceps there, and they've never been that large since, but it was just stuffing bread after stuffing bread in my mouth. Inflation. Things go up and up and up and up. Here's what the issue, though, is about the cost of discipleship. The price has always been the same. It's never changed. It's everything. It's a change of identity. It is a shift from identifying myself by 15 different monikers or one thing in particular and then that thing gets pulled out from underneath me. Here, Jesus is saying, count the cost because the cost is everything. And I am calling you to shift your identity. Your moniker now is, you're my child. And I become a follower of Christ. And now what changes is that the things that circumstantially might change my life, something that gets pulled out from underneath me, or something that I willingly give away. Either way, I have freedom from those things because that's not who I am, that's simply what I steward. And I have the privilege of stewarding it for a season. What a wonderful blessing. 
How great to notice the stewardship of family and how important that becomes to us. But even family is not my own. It's God's great blessing to be part of something. Jesus, I don't think, is saying turn your back or wish ill will on family. But I do believe Jesus is saying that if you're half in, half out, you're going to make yourself and everyone else miserable. The joy of the kingdom will never be fully received because your identity is never fully wrapped up in what God is doing in you and through you. And so there's one foot, one place, one foot, another, and you get drawn and pulled in both directions. You're miserable. And then your attitude and spirit about all things faith and all things not faith become laden with this heaviness that something's not right, it's not good, it's never quite satisfactory, always contentious, because the identity has not made a shift. God's called us into a new identity and invites us to live into that place. And then one of the things that changes, the cross to bear, it simply gets seen through the lens of God's great grace and my discipleship. It doesn't change my identity, it strengthens my identity. I'm not saying it's always easy. Sometimes the suffering, the grief, the loss can be incredibly painful. But if I believe my identity is that I belong to Christ, then that becomes a moment for me to rethink the things that I thought gave value to my identity and once again affirm that God's love is the moniker that holds me, keeps me, sustains me, and takes me into eternity. I then stand in a place where I might say, you know, this is my political affiliation, but it's not the thing that defines me. So I'm really open to your arguments. This is where I stand on a political social issue. But I want you to know it's not what defines me. I, I probably have a lot vested in it just because of the thought process that's gone into it. But what defines me is I'm a follower of Christ. And that calls me to listen and to hear and to be considerate and open to the ways in which God has taught you, led you, and the arguments that you might have. In fact, I'm, I'm open to being swayed. I'd love to hear it. Maybe the place we land is somewhere between us, but that sure sounds like community to me. Maybe I live into the journey of others as a way by which I express my identity in Christ as I hear your joys and successes and your struggles and griefs. Because I'm no longer invested in all of the ways in which I thought meaning was made, but now I've received a gift of God. Forgiveness? safety, a place to dwell, 
in God's presence. A new identity so I no longer have to struggle with who am I? I'm Christ's. There's a lot I still have to figure out. (laughs) I'm still not sure what my major should be. So I just keep taking classes my whole life long. But I know who I am. And sometimes I mess up with that. It's not like it's smooth sailing all the way. I mean, Jesus gives this great speech to all of the followers and said, unless you do this, you can't be my disciples. Who's going to count the cost? And then quite a few of them follow him all to Jerusalem, and then they turn their back on him. And the very people that ran away became some of the same people that turned the world upside down with their faith. It's not always a straight, easy path. But the life of faith is a life of transformed identity. Jesus clearly states this is not simply an add-on to the rest of your life. There's a price. The price has never gone up. Inflation has never affected it. It's not changed in terms of dollars. It's always been the same. It's everything. Christ, I'm yours. All of me. The invitation to the table of grace is an invitation to identity. I'm invited to identify with Christ, the one who laid down his life on my behalf. It's an identity I long to embrace and have a lifetime to figure out. Thanks be to God. Matt, come and lead us to the table of grace. It is Christ who set the table. It is Christ who invites us with an empty seat for us. That there is always a spot at the table. So whether we are someone who has journeyed a long way with Christ, whose faith has been strengthened throughout years and decades, or you have enough faith to just stand up and come forward. If you are somebody who knows and feels the love of Christ this week and this last season of your life, or if you are somebody who is questioning or wondering, how do I love? What is love? There's a spot at the table for you. So we come to Christ's table. The... The greeters who will be with us in front, they're going to have the elements for you. You just come on down, grab one, take it back. We'll take it all together after we are uh, done serving. But we come to the table receiving the identity that God has for us. Receiving the grace and the forgiveness that God offers all of us. The table of the Lord is open.
and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love wearing the thorns on thy brow. If On the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered his disciples and celebrated a very common meal together. He took bread from the table where everyone was at and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Later on, a little later on in the meal, Christ took a cup and he drank of it and passed, passed it to his disciples and said, this is my blood poured out for you, which is the sign of the forgiveness of sins. Drink. Let us pray, Lord, we are so thankful. Thankful that you have offered us a path 
of grace in which our identity might fully be found in you. That although the, the cost is high, it is a life filled with joy and peace and love and mercy. Lord, shape us and guide us, not only in the economics of your grace, but in the way of embodying that economy in the world, that we might be your body to each other, to our neighbors, to those in our classroom, those that we have lunch in the break room with, that we might be your body of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Guide us in all of these things, Lord, we pray. Amen. I'd love for you to stand for a closing benediction, if you would. May God's grace pour over you. May God's love pour into you. May you find that a spirit of peace becomes yours as your identity becomes that which God created you to be in all of its fullness, all of its goodness, all of its richness. May you experience the Spirit's life in and through all that you do. May you not only go in peace, but be purveyors of peace as well. God bless you. Thank you.